Well, it's good to see them all go out. And uh, as you look at the title up there, as far as the uh, sermon, it's a great disturbance. So I'm going to try and create a great disturbance up here uh, through the preaching of God's Word. So thankful again to be with us. And I'm so fascinated by the book of Acts, you know, through, through everything. To, and especially, again, the last chapter we went through, chapter number five, and really see the advance of the gospel, the advance, again, of God's kingdom you know, how it carried on, how it went through all of that. And last, last time we were together, we ended off um, in, in uh, chapter number 5 in verses 41 and 42. And listen to what it says. And th then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, listen to what they were doing. They did not cease teaching and preaching. That, that the Christ is Jesus. And you can see, again, this thriving church, but you can also see there's this urgency to teach Christ, isn't there? There's an urgency to announce that he's, he is the Christ. He is risen from the grave. And it's amazing to look at this because this is all in the, in the context of opposition. And opposition in the last chapter was basically down two avenues. And one avenue happened to be, again, persecution. You know, those who happened to hate the gospel wanted to stamp it out, wanted, wanted to get rid of it. And this is one of the fascinating things. And you can see this over the last 2,000 years of church history. The more opposition the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has found, and it hasn't always been this way, but most often it is this way, the more opposition that's, that the church of Jesus Christ faces, the, the more it flourishes. The more people see the dignity, the need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see that throughout church history. You know, what man may, means for evil, what, what he means, again, to somehow demean, squash the gospel, God means it for good. You know, I was reminded as I was going through this text, even of the Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries in the 1960s when they took the gospel to the Aka Indians. You know, and they so, so wanted to reach these indigenous people, these unreached people. You know, and one day they, they, they finally were going to have contact with them. And they came again and they thought they were going to get a, a, uh, a really good reception. Instead, the natives that happened to be there charged them with spears. They actually had rifles with them and they shot it in the air. They didn't want to shoot again any of the natives because they realized if they killed them, they would go off into Christless eternity. And all of these young men were martyred that day. You know, and people started to reflect on that. What a waste. Here are these young, promising lives. But in the 60s, God used it to really galvanize a whole, I would say, army of missionaries, especially in the U.S. Young people were looking at their lives and saying, well, well, well what am I living for? Am I living just for the American dream? Am I living just to get more of the things, more of the fashions that I happen to begin in this life? Look at this. Look at this dignity. Look at what, who is worthy to be lived for. And all of a sudden, God called through the martyrdom of these missionaries a whole army of missionaries from the U.S. that went, out, went and took the gospel, again, throughout all of the world during their generation. And what man means for evil many times, God plans for the good, for the growth of his kingdom, for the growth of his church, for the, for the ultimate glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was one avenue of opposition that we saw. The other avenue of opposition that we saw in chapter number five happened to be hypocrisy. You know, it happened to be inside of the church. And we saw this through Ananias and Sapphira. They gave this gift. You know, there's nothing wrong with giving a gift. Praise God, you know, that they were trying to meet the need of the church, trying to see the advance of the gospel. But they 
maintained that they had given a larger gift than they really had given, that they had given all the proceeds from a, from a parcel of land that they sold when they held part of it back. You know, and anytime somebody lives in hypocrisy, it's basically this. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm accomplishing that happened to begin in our life. And we realize as we come this morning, as we sing, as we celebrate the great grace of God, there's only worship for one. There's only room for worship of one, and it is this great Christ that happens to be above. So, so God takes care of that problem, and as we go through chapter number five, we see this church, even though it has its oppositions going on, that is thriving. But as we come to chapter number six, we're reminded that the enemy, again, of our souls, the enemy, again, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, has many tactics, you know, to try to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of his favorite tools that he, employ, that he employs is division, is infighting, is backstabbing, is gossip, is slander, is the, uh, is the disunity that happens to be again among God's people. And let me say, to say this is a huge problem. I, I don't know if we real, really realize it, how huge of a problem. And I think people who cause disunity in the church of Jesus Christ really many times don't even know that they're causing it. And many times, again, in all of their grievances, they really do not realize how far it'll go. I can remember when I was studying for the ministry, and I was in this university class on 1 Corinthians, and we're going through the opening four chapters, and the opening four chapters are about, are about the unity of the church. You know, and it was a class, again, again I would say around two or 300 students that happened to begin in there, all young students, all, again, in their early 20s. And the question was asked, how many of you come from churches that, that have split? And I put my head down right away because my church it was just going, the one that I was saved through was just going through a church split. You know, people that I respected, people that I loved, yeah, you know, they were on dividing lines, and it was really ugly. You know, and I re reluctantly raised my hand, and I thought my hand would be in, um, among, again, 200 to 300 young people in their early 20s, so they haven't had a long history in the church. And when I looked around, almost every hand was up. You know, and the reason why I bring that up is because when we look at church disunity, when we look at even at church splits, when we look at the animosity that exists between the brethren, it is epidemic in the church of Jesus Christ today. But here's the thing you have to realize, it existed right from the start. In fact, we see it right here in Acts chapter 6. We have this idea, let's just go back to the early church. It's idea, idyllic. And they had this problem. In fact, even as you look at many of the pastoral epistles, when you look at many of the epistles that happen to begin of Paul, he's writing to churches, and the reason why he's writing to churches is there's problems in the brethren. There's disunity. There's division. There's animosity. There's jealousy that exists in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing because when you talk to people, what's the greatest problem? You know, who are involved in these church uh, disunity, this church again infighting that happens, go on. More often than not, they'll point to somebody else, but they'll never point again to self. And what I want us to do is really go through uh, verse number one, just verse number one this morning. And I want us to look at two warning signs. You know, warning signs that we have to look out for, that we have to truly see. And I want us to recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt that the greatest problem that you have in the church, the greatest problem that I have in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. It's my own foolish heart. It's my own heart that thinks beyond a shadow of a doubt that I know what's best. 
You know, it's, it's, it's not seeing, again, that sin that still remains in each one of our lives, in each one of our hearts. You know, and, and like I say, those who cause divisions, those who cause discord among the people of God really do not think they're causing discord or disunity, but the exact opposite. They actually think that they're serving God. They actually think that they're glorifying God. They have a greater insight than everybody else that happens to be, again, among the people of God. So I want us to look at these couple of warning signs, and I hope God will use it to really enliven our hearts, to keep us ready, to keep us alert, that we might uh, glorify Christ. Because so often when you look at these things, uh, the, the devil just laughs at us, doesn't he? You know, when we're di uh, disunited and the world that happens to be around us scorns us, we have this great message, but if this is the way we treat one another, we have nothing to offer them. And the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ is many times trampled underfoot. So I want us to look at these warning signs. You know, and the first warning sign that I want us to get is I want us to recognize that we have to guard our hearts in great blessing. In fact, look at chapter number six and verse number one. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You know, I can remember as if it was yesterday, and it was probably 20 years ago, that I sat in a basement again apartment of this gentleman who was absolutely broken. You know, his marriage was over. Uh, his kids wanted nothing to do with them. And I'd met him several years before that. And it was amazing to look at, look at him several years before that because he was an active member in his church. He was serving, I believe, again, he was a deacon that happened to begin in his church. His family were all flourishing. The kids, again, loved him. He had an adorable wife. And yet here, here it was about three years later, and he's sitting, again, uh, kicked out of his home. His marriage is over. He, he had even been excommunicated out of the church. And as I sat, as sat you know, his elbows were on his knees. You could see the strain that happened to begin in his face. And he asked me this question, how did I get here? How, how did I get here? I was over here. Everything was so glorious. Everything was so grand. Everything was so beautiful. How did I get over here? You know, and it's a great question to ask. You know, because it's one of those questions that really examines our lives. We couldn't imagine, you know, three years ago that we would be here. You know, and that's the question that he would ask. And the answer to that question might surprise you. And you know what the answer to the question is? The reason why he was in the place that he was, listen to it, is that he had a real good godly marriage. Now, that seems like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? But let me tell you, when we have a good and godly, when we're on that mountaintop, when, we're, when the blessings of God just seem to roll in and roll in and roll in, we do something. And you know what we do? Or we don't do something. And you know what we don't do? We stop watching our own heart. We stop doing the things. Life becomes easy. And we start doing the things. We, we stop doing the things that we really should be doing. And we forget Think about it. We forget who we are, and we forget who the other people that happen to be again around us are. Isn't it true? The people who can do the greatest damage in your life, the greatest hurt, the greatest harm, are the people closest to you. And guess what? They're, they're not a finished product if they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and neither are you. 
All of us still have sin that happen to be in our life. And it starts off, doesn't it? It doesn't start off with one giant leap where he's all, all of a sudden over there. But it's one small comment, one small thought, one small, again, thing that unforgiveness is going. And it's almost like layers that build up, that build up, that build up, that build up. It's that relational drip, and it keeps getting worse, and it keeps getting worse, and it keeps getting worse. Until we find ourselves in a place, here it is, we never thought we would be. Now the question is, what does that have to do with our text? And let me tell you, it has everything to do with our text. And the reason why is because think of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not dealing with one person. But what the church is, here, here it is, is the body of Christ. And it's a whole, a whole bunch of sinners who have not been perfected in the faith. The potential of great blessing, but the potential of great harm exists in the church of Jesus Christ. And the church ought to be a glorious blessing in each one of our lives. We should enjoy the sweet fellowship. We should enjoy seeing people grow and seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. But in the midst of that, isn't it true? It is so easy to stop watching. It is so easy to stop looking at our own lives and our own hearts. Because we see this in verse number one. You know, this is the context of this disturbance that happens. Right at the beginning of chapter one, he says this. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing, here it is, in number, right? And I love the way it's described, it's described there because it doesn't say this. There was a number of professions that happened to be in the church that happened to be at Jerusalem. It doesn't say that. It says when there was an increase in, here it is, disciples. Well, what are those? Those are truly born-again people, right? God's Spirit has come in. They've trusted Jesus Christ, and now they want to serve Him. They want to follow Him. That, those are true believers, He's not talking about, again, people who have come in and they're causing disturbance, you know, they've made a profession of faith, but they're not truly born again. What he's talking about is this great blessing. And can you imagine being in the church that happened to be in Jerusalem, how exciting that was? You know, seeing these people who, you know, basically were ritualistic about God, but really had no passion, no, no fervor, no desire to truly glorify him. And now they can't stop talking about Jesus Christ. Now they can't stop again but serve him. In fact, here's how much God again has touched their heart. They were going out and selling many of their assets to meet the needs to have in the beginning of the church for the glory of Christ, that the gospel might go forward. You know, and if you've ever been around those who are truly born again, those who have truly come to a new faith in Jesus Christ, that's all they want to talk about, right? You get in their, their presence, maybe over a cup of coffee, maybe over a meal, maybe before service, and all they want to do is talk about Jesus Christ. And it's intoxicating, isn't it? It encourages our heart. Well, imagine being in a church where exponentially there's this large number that are coming to Christ, that truly want to serve him, that truly want to adore him, truly want to learn of him and be conformed to his image. I mean, what could ever go wrong? And here's what can go wrong. Us. Isn't it true? We stop looking at our lives. We stop looking at our hearts. We forget, again, who we are. We forget where we live. We forget that every single person in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, including us, can do so much damage and really, really diminish that reputation, that beautiful reputation of Jesus Christ. 
And as I reflected on the sermon, I'm so thankful for Emmanuel Baptist Church. You know, I'm so thankful to come in and see, you know, many of you had your eyes closed. A few of you again almost raised your hands to uh, and sing with joy now. Our God is with us. You know, who can stand against us? For our God is for us. What a great truth, isn't it? And we celebrated that truth this morning. You know, I'm so thankful for Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm so thankful for the membership here. We have such an active membership at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Have you ever thought about that, what a blessing it is? Have you ever thought that most of the membership of Emmanuel Baptist Church have not known any other church? I mean, that's, that's peculiar. It really is a peculiar in a church. Many of you have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you only know of one church. And it happens to be again Emmanuel Baptist Church. Others of you have come in and you've seen the richness of doctrine. You've seen the richness, again, of this love for Christ. And you've jumped on board. You become part of the family. And you're worshiping, you know, desiring this great Christ who happens to be above. And this is what, this is what I say. What a blessing. What a blessing. You know, it is. But someone has once said, the most dangerous place that we can be, here it is is on the mountaintop. Isn't it true? We're looking around, and we don't realize the danger that happens being around us. Right? Right? Satan can't touch us. Sin can't touch us. There's just no problem that can ever come in our life. And maybe here this morning, you're overwhelmed by the grace of God. And let me just say, if you're overwhelmed by the grace of God, that is such a great place to be. Praise God for his grace. Praise God that he blesses us individually, corporately as a church. But here's my plea. Don't forget who you are and where you live. Don't forget that sin has not been eradicated in your life and those that haven't begun around us. Because little by little, we can stop seeing the manifold grace of God and really become bitter, really start taking on, a, on what I would call a complaining attitude. You know, and it's not about big things, it's about little things. We never think it's going to cause a disturbance, but little by little by little by little. And every church has them. Every church has them. You know, I can remember, and, and, and even this, even again, what I would call very um, uh, famous pe uh, pre preachers, for lack of a better term, have this problem in their churches. I can remember going to a seminar and John uh, MacArthur was speaking. It was a group, again, of pastors, probably about three or 400 pastors, and he was talking about difficulties in the, in the pastorate. And the pastors were there because they were going through difficulty. And this is what it was. It was basically a question and answer time. And you could tell by the questions that were being asked that these pastors were hurting because of the division that happened to be in their church. And it was amazing to hear uh, John MacArthur's answer because John MacArthur's answer was not this. Well, I can't relate to that. I know. I know what you're going through. And he gave one example after another example after another example after another example. You know, and he said something that every single pastor knows. You know, there, there's some that come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and they come here and they say something like this. This is the most biblical church I've ever belonged to. This is the greatest blessing I've ever come, you know, is coming out to this church. And three years later, every single pastor who has had any time in ministry realizes several years later 
that same individual say something like this. That's the most unbiblical church. This church is not being blessed by God. In fact, the curse of God, the judgment of God happens to be upon it. Remember my friend in the basement apartment? How did he get there? How did he get there? Here it is. One little small complaint, one little small grievance after another, after another, after another, after another. Oh, everybody is No, 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 no. The church is still preaching the same message. The church is still praising the same God. What has changed again is our own wicked human hearts. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you are blessed by Emmanuel Baptist Church, you should say this. Praise God for it but I'm still in a dangerous place. I have not arrived. And my great plea for you, again, in these thorns of discontentment that can grow in each one of our heart, to realize, you know, to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, we have not arrived. You know, danger is still close by and in our midst. That's That's one of the dangers that happen to be there. The second danger is basically this, and, and, I, and I hope you'll understand it as I, as I go through, is basically this, is that when we take what is primary in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, we end up giving it a secondary position, and then we take secondary things, and we advance them to make them primary things. You know, and you can see that in our text, because look at verse number one again. It says, now these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in their daily uh, distribution. Now, I'm going to do something here. I hope it doesn't throw you off. I'm going to take my sweater off. I'm a little hot here. Maybe I'm a little hot under the collar. I hope this doesn't throw you off too much. I used to have a jacket, remember? It used to always come off, you know, halfway through. Well, my sweaters come off halfway through. You know, and, and it's incredible to look at this, but because so often the church does not know or forgets its mighty foundation. Isn't it true? You know, I, I, I can remember a young pastor, a real good pastor, who just accepted a pastoring, and this was out in the western provinces. You know, and the church voted for him unanimously to come. And it was a real celebration because there was a longtime pastor who served, and he was retiring. He was just going to become a member of the congregation. And, and they had this young, vital blood, and everybody was celebrating. Everything was going great until he did something. The young pastor did something. And you know what he did? Now, get this. He took the piano. He had the audacity to take the piano. He wanted to rearrange the furniture up front. He took the piano, and he took it off the platform, and he just placed it by the side of the uh, platform. And the former pastor was just livid. And many, again, of the other individuals were livid. They said, okay, what he wants to do is he wants to change the direction of the church. What he wants to do, all of a sudden, is change even the musical structure that we have. And here's the thing. The new pastor was more conservative in his music than anybody that happened to be in the congregation. But all of a sudden, we're on the slippery slope. We've got to do something, because if we keep on the slippery slope, we're going to end off in liberalism. Later. And three weeks later, they had a vote to remove that young pastor. Right? It split the church. And it's incredible, isn't it? Because so often when we look at secondary things, secondary things, some of them are very important that the church needs to handle, the church needs to address beyond a shadow of a doubt. But so often, again, when you look at secondary issues, this is what they are. They're secondary. 
And it's amazing because uh, being a pastor now for a number of years, for uh, a couple of decades and more, I think a lot of times I have seen it all. You know, I don't think uh, there can be a congregation that can all of a sudden be split over any other issues. I think I've seen it all. I mean, from the color of the carpet to the color of the walls. And here's a big one for congregations. You know, whether they have pews or chairs in their main auditorium. You know, and they'll argue and argue and bicker and bicker and fight about that. And then here comes the second question. Should they be padded or not? You know, and the reason why we don't want padded pews is we don't want anybody comfortable, comfortable going to sleep, right? right? So we're going to be uncomfortable and, you know, squish around everywhere and not pay attention to the message. But here's what happens, and I want you to know what happens in all of these things. Here, here it is, here it is. Here's what primary, again, all of a sudden it's made secondary. But the secondary issue becomes a gospel issue. Here it is, there's no way that we can glorify Christ. There's no way that we can praise him. There's no way that this happens to be the will of God unless we do it the way that I want it to be done. Right? And I think a lot of times we forget our calling. We forget what's primary. We forget what unites us as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're not, again, united by pews or, 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 or uh, chairs. You know, we're united around what Jesus Christ has done and the promises that are for us in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Richard read from Ephesians this morning, but in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1, this is what Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. And listen to what he says next. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, of spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you're called, and one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And, let, let, and if you've ever studied the book of Ephesians, it's an amazing book. You know, because in the first three chapters... There's really no commands. The only commands that happen to be in the opening three chapters is basically this. Remember. Remember these truths. Remember your calling. Remember what you were bought from. And when you look at the theme of those opening three chapters, if you just want a, a quick overview, again, of those opening chapters, you would say this. It is what God has done. Right? Man's passive in those opening three chapters. It's what God has done. Right? What God has done, if you want to go a little deeper, it's this. What God has done in providing salvation to dead sinners, right? Right, we're dead. Well, what can a dead person do? And the answer is nothing, right? Nothing at all. And, and that's, that's the theme of the opening three chapters. If you want to go a little deeper, it's what God has done to dead sinners and giving them a life through the Lord Jesus Christ in building his body, in building his temple, in building what is known as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's what it's about. It's about the church that is made to manifest. Here it is, right? What God has done. If you want to go even deeper than that, it's what God has done in bringing dead sinners to life and giving them a life through the Lord Jesus Christ in building his church. And here's the fourth thing, that he might be ultimately glorified. 
And then he says in chapter number four, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, right, command you to walk in a way worthy of your calling in Jesus Christ. And what's that calling? Well, it's in the context of the church. That's what the opening three chapters are about. Be patient, forbearing, forgiving, loving. And then he says this. I want you to hear it. Maintaining the unity of the Spirit of God. He doesn't say create unity, right? We're trying to create unity. We should sell this land. We should have these pews. We should have these color on this wall, right? We're trying to make or create. No, no, it says maintain that which has been supernaturally, supernaturally created by the Spirit of God. And you know what it's around? You know what it is? Because he highlights it. It's around the gospel because he has seven, right? Seven ones that happen to be again right here. And he says, uh, there's one body, one spirit, there's one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all and through all. It's all of these ones that unite us together in Jesus Christ. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. In other words, we're baptized into one body of Jesus Christ and maintain your unity around these truths. And as we maintain our unity around these truths and people come in and they see, you know, we adore Christ, we treasure Christ, we laud Christ, he is our hope. It buttresses that gospel. So here's the question. Here we have a great enemy that happens to be of our soul. If he wants to diminish, if he wants to witness, uh, weaken the witness of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, where do you think he's going to attack? And here it is, in our own foolish hearts, in our own deceptive hearts. And you can see that in the passage, because again, in verse number one, he says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, this is what happened, blessing upon blessing, mountaintop, right? He says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And here's the thing. And I want you to hear, everything is not perfect. Right? We think, again, often, everything's perfect. Everything is not perfect. Here it is, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Praise God, we're praising him today. Everything is not perfect. And there's a problem. And let me explain the problem. The problem's around two things. Two things. One is that there's widows. And when you look at these widows, they live in a different time, a different culture. Um, with, I would say, different needs. When you look at our country, one, one of the things that we complain about, but I think, again, we should be thankful for, is this, and you, and you may differ with me, and if you differ with me, you can lambaste me again after the service, but don't, don't create disunity. <laughs> we have this social safety net that happens to be in our country, and I realize a lot of people disabuse it, but when you look at a lot of people who have fallen on hard times, that's meant the reason why we call it a social safety net, it's supposed to catch them. You know, that they don't pass through. You know, and we should be thankful for many of the programs, uh, many of the uh, aspects that really help people out. And we should be thankful for that. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't have that. You know, and when you looked at widows, when you looked at women in general, they were many times looked down upon. They were despised. They were looked at no better than an animal that happened to begin in the field in some contexts. 
And so all of a sudden, when they were uh, um, uh, bereft of a husband, if something happened to their husband, and you know, uh, death was a lot more common than happened to begin in that society, when you looked at when that happened, then the widow had true needs. And it's amazing because when you look at the Old Testament law, God had built in various different uh, helps for these individuals, for these strangers that happened to be in this land, for the poor that happened to be there to help take care of them. God had built in. And let me say, it's the same in the church of the Lord Jesus. You know, God should have give us a heart of compassion for those who are vulnerable, for those who are not as, here it is, blessed materially as us. In fact, James writes about that. Uh, James uh, says in James chapter 1 and verse number 20, he says, religion is that is pure and undefiled before God is this. Listen to what it is. To visit the orphan and widows, and here it is, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Do you see that? You know, that happened to be there. This is religion. This is pure. This is pure Christianity that we really care, that we really have a concern for those, again, who happen to be, again, less fortunate that happen to be around us. You know, and, and I'm amazed how much, and I'm not going to go off on this because this is a minor point, how much we spend on ourselves. Isn't it true? How much we spend on ourselves, and we basically say this, you know, and some people never give to the cause of Christ, let alone those who are the less fortunate. And they basically say this, if I hear of a need, I'll meet it. And here's my plea to you. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. There are needs of people struggling all around you. Open your eyes. We spend so much on ourselves, and we have so much concern about ourselves that we never see those who are hurting. The orphans, the widows, uh, the homeless, they happen to begin all around us so often. We need to open our eyes. This is pure religion. But the second thing and where this problem really comes in is not that there were widows because they were trying to help these widows out. But the second thing, then the second problem was around these Hellenistic widows. Now, what's it mean to be a Hellenistic widow? And it's basically this. It's to be outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. You know, when you looked at this during the, what is called the diaspora, or the scattering of this various different... Um, people of Israel during these times of judgment by God. They settled in these various different nations. They kept, again, some of their Jewishness, but they also intermingled with the people that happened to be around them. And so they were looked upon. So this is not language, right? right? Everybody spoke Greek. It's not just talking about Greek language, right? Everybody spoke Greek. It's not talking about you speak Greek, we speak Hebrew, we just cannot understand it. It's not talking about that, but it's talking about this. And this is a great problem all over the world and even in the church many times. It was an ethnic problem. You're not a pure stock. You're not of Israel. And many times, here it is, the Judean Jews look down at the Hellenistic Jews. Here we've come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we read about this this morning, how God has brought us all from various different backgrounds to be one. Here's the problem. Old ways of thinking and sinful ways of thinking many times die hard. Isn't it true? Right? We should praise God for his goodness. We should praise God that he calls every ethnic group, every language, every people group that are ultimately going to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
saying all of this, I want you to hear me really clear. I don't know if this is a real problem. You know, the, after we get by this, there's nothing else that's said about this. And we know a lot of times people will take something that's really, again, minor that's happening. Maybe the Hebrew women all have, uh, the Hebrew widows all have homes, and it looks like they're being taken care of more than the Hellenistic widows. But here's what happens. There is no thought right here to solve the problem. Here's what people are doing. They're complaining. And isn't it true? Oh, we're being so blessed. Did you hear what Peter said today? And then, and then, you know, right after Peter, John came up, you know, he made these comments, and praise God. Why don't you praise God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you hear about the Hellenistic widows? Right? What happens? Here it is. Right? Here's the concentration. No, no, no. But did you hear? But these people that happen to be over here. And this seems like a serious problem that needs to be addressed in a mature way in the church of Jesus Christ. But this is what the potential has, you know, complain, 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 has the potential of taking our eyes off Christ in his glory and putting it on something else. And that's why the disciples say, listen, get six guys over here, deal with the problem, but we're going to keep ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it true? You know, we're prone to backbite. We're prone to gossip. We're prone many times to look and even be, again, judge other people's motives. So often in the Church of Jesus Christ. And let me just give, I mean, there's several various different examples I could give, various different uh, applications I could give. But let me just give one. It's from Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse number 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's an amazing verse, isn't it? And let me just say this about many pastors. Many pastors many times quote this to manipulate, to control, to strong arm the congregation. You know, you're going to listen to me. If you don't listen to me, I'm God's anointed. And if you don't listen to me, they then the judgment of God is going to come down in you. And a lot of pastors many times use these verses many times to beat their congregation. But well, what is given is not so much for leadership. Leadership is going to give an account to God in how they led. But here's the thing. Let them lead with joy. And here's the question. Why should you let godly leaders that are preaching the gospel, that are, that are feeding you with the word of God, why should you let them lead with joy? And the, and the answer he gives right in the text is because if you don't, it would have no advantage to you. And every pastor, I, you know, uh, now that I've gotten a little older, I get calls from a lot of other pastors going through difficulties and give, going through problems all the time. You know, and when they call me and they start to tell me the problems in here, here's what happens. They're preaching, they're discipling, they're counseling, but here's what happens. They've got to take their eyes off this and they've got to deal with this problem that happens to be over here. Right? It's of no advantage to you. Let them do it with joy. You know, there's many issues that need to be addressed in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but here's what happens so often. Secondary things become primary. Yeah. It's got to happen. Got to happen. 
And as I close this morning, you know, I don't want to close on a somber note. You know, are you being blessed? Are you thankful for being here this morning? Are you praising God? You know, are you amazed at your salvation that God has given you again a body of believers where we can be active and we can praise and we can grow and we can flourish for, the, for, for Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, well, praise God for him that. But let me tell you, we're still in a dangerous place. Watch your heart. Watch what's going on. And make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt, here it is, second thing that everything's never become primary. We're only given a short life. You know, I'm thinking, I play with little Felix up front here, and, um, and when he gets to be my age, you know, when he gets to be, I just turned 60, as all you know here, I ain't going to be here, and I don't want to be here. I don't want to be 120. You know? And think of it, I'm not going to be here. I'll probably be here maybe if the, if the Lord grants me this and the Lord tarries and does not come back. I'll probably be here another 20 years, maybe 25 years, and that's it. My life is very short. And the question is, do we really want to spend our life on secondary things? Or strengthen the church for the glory and the grandeur of Christ, that he might go forward? Let's watch our hearts and continue to praise him for his goodness. Now let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at this text, it's so easy, Lord, to many times complain. Lord, instead of trying to solve difficulties and problems and animosities, jealousies, Lord, it's so easy to judge even other people's hearts while we Never judge our own hearts. And I ask that you would be with us, Lord, that you would help us so much. Uh, God, not get derailed from the making and maturing of disciples for the ultimate glory of Jesus Christ. God, we're all given a short time here, and we realize the vastness, the greatness of your promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. Help us never to waste time. Help us to redeem the time and make much of it by keeping that which is primary primary. Just be with us, Lord. We thank you so much for our gathering today. We thank you so much for your immense blessings to us. Just be with us as we close now. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.